0: Let's all take a moment to pay homage to the Supreme Buddha, the perfectly enlightened one, the fully awakened one, the magnificent one, the infinitely merciful one, our teacher, our guide, our path to deliverance. May this homage that we make to the Noble One be a guiding light for us all to achieve what he has achieved and to walk the path that he laid out for us.
1: Namo Bhagavato Arehato Sama Sambuddhas Namo Bhagavato arahato samma namo bhagavato arahato samma
0: some of the things that we are talking about these days although unintended they may come across as highly technical oh academic purely theoretical i repeat it's unintended from time to time you may tune out especially if you're not here so these words while they have some relevance to you might have a lot more relevance to those who Listen to these sermons online. Because, you know, when you come here, we create an environment for you. When you walk in through these doors, you know where you are. You come here with purpose. You know you're here to achieve something. And Everything you do, everything you say, everything you think about, they all have one purpose in mind. So, here you get that opportunity, the environment, which is highly conducive to your understanding of the Dhamma. And besides, Everyone who lives here and visits here, they are diligent and arduent practitioners of the Dhamma. We don't do anything else here. We practice the Dhamma. Which only helps, again, to create the environment for you to have that right mindset. So, there's a huge advantage. Now, this might seem unfair to those who perhaps may never get the opportunity to visit us. Not in this lifetime. So there is a huge opportunity to being here in person. My point being, there will be those who will struggle and those who may not. So, particularly for those individuals, I say hang in there because if it's difficult to understand some of these things when you're here, it will be many times more. It may be. can't say it will be. It can be. It may be many times more difficult when you're tuning in to these sermons online. So there will be times when you'll tune in and you'll tune out. By that I don't mean when you fall asleep and stay awake. That's not really what I mean. What I mean by that is some of these concepts will take a while to rub in. Because, you know, we understand by now that environment is everything. Because this gives you context. Whilst you are here, things that happen around you will all focus your attention to this one thing. There's a reason why the flowers are laid out in this way. Because when you come here, you don't get the feeling of having walked into a wedding hall, for instance. Or a birthday party. Or a wedding anniversary. You know where you've come. You know where you are. People who come here, they're all dressed in a similar way. So, this is all part of it. Remember, environment is everything. It is the environment which attracts the parka. So, you've got to understand by extension, environment is everything. As much as we feel that we do what we want to do, it's only a feeling. We feel that we have ultimate the, the ultimate power of making our own choices and our own decisions. And although we, we even express it in those terms, this is a very two-dimensional perspective on things. In the third dimension, that's not really how it works. That's not to say that we should completely dish away with that two-dimensional view of the world, because that's what most people understand. And it gives people some responsibility over their actions. Because without that, you know, people will be just... They'll just be crazy. Running around doing whatever the heck they want. They'll think that, you know, these actions will have no consequences. You know, people will just go on a crime spree. But when we say, you know, your actions will bring you results, they understand this concept of you. Because they identify with themselves. Don't do bad things because bad things will happen to you. Whereas if you just said, don't do bad things, bad things will happen. Hmm? One might say, well, so what? As long as it doesn't happen to me, I don't care. And sometimes people do good things because they expect good things to happen to, to them. And sometimes if, if there's no promise of good things happening to them in return, then we might not even be able to inspire them or encourage them to do good. Sometimes people only do good because they have this hope that, and expectation that good things will come to them in return. Payback, reward for their actions. So that's a very two-dimensional world. And do, should we do away with it? Certainly not. That should be there. That should always be there. Because it is the path that leads one to this level of understanding. Because only good people can go to great people. Or can become great people. Bad people become good people. And good people go on to become great people. And then, in the same breath, I'll tell you that there is no such thing as bad people and good people. Then you'll ask me if you just banged your head somewhere, Swami Nansen. You just said a minute ago that there's good people and there's bad people and now you're saying that there is no such thing as good people and bad people. Make your freaking mind up, Swami (laughs) Nansen. You might say it. You know, the best place to be if you want to attend Nibbana is in the Sasana. Okay? There's no doubts about that. I'm here for a reason. If I knew that I could do it without any, any drawbacks sitting where you are, I would have done it. So the best place to do this is the sasana. However, fear not, because the sasana is fourfold. There's the bhikkhus and bhikkunis and upasakas and upasikas. All of this is simply the environment. Some people can choose this environment but still nothing happens for them because this is only support for that environment. Being in robes doesn't mean one's going to attain Nibbana any faster or sooner than someone who lives a lay life. I don't think I need to draw examples to explain that to you. I think it's fairly evident when you just open your eyes and look around. Being born to Buddhist parents is not necessarily going to get you to Nibbana. Going to the temple every day is not necessarily going to get you to Nibbana, is it? How many people do you know who go to the temple? Sometimes every day, sometimes twice a month, maybe every weekend. And yet, their actions... <laughs> Their words sharper than spears. Actions they're more fatal than atomic bombs. You shouldn't touch them with a barge pole. You see them walk away. They're the wrong kind of guy to mess with. Right, So, none of those things are the magic ingredient, if you like, to attain Nibbana. So, whether I'm in robes or you're in a lay attire, doesn't directly impact your destination. But, there is support. But support Is only necessary for one who who wants to do it. So. From time to time. Without this environment. There's the chance that you will tune in and tune out. Sometimes there will be more tuning out than tuning in. But I say hang in there. I said right from the start. That some of these things we talk about these days, they, you know, they are not things that we've ever talked about. So it'll take a while. So just because you don't understand what is said in one sermon in, in a couple of sermons, don't let that dishearten you. And I feel that you know there may be some who will maybe by by the off chance they listen to one sermon, maybe from a year ago, and then they see, ah, there's been a year's worth of sermons, but I don't need to necessarily watch all of them. Let me just fast forward and come to the latest one. And then, you know, one year back, it said, you know, be a good man, be a good person, do these good deeds, be altruistic in your actions towards others. And then all of a sudden we're talking about karmic strands. You know, What can I do? I share with you a personal journey. Right? Because I can only talk to you about what I do. right? So, in these sermons, that evolution will have been my evolution. So, that's a path. It's a journey. So, as you come along that journey, there are certain milestones that you will have to have passed. The fact that you are here, if you were there from the start, okay if you were there from the start, or at least joined halfway through and you're still here, that means you've come on that journey. So you'll understand more of what I'm saying. Whereas if you say, you know, these days, if someone comes for the first time, then and because yeah, you know say i see a new face every day i can't always talk to that new face every day i mean i can but then how do i take the rest of you on this journey because when i'm not here i'm not talking to new faces when i'm not here i spend time with regulars i spend time with full time members So, while I'm here, I have to split my time between new phases and regulars. So, I suppose the point of all this is, there will be times when this will just not make sense, but hang in there. There will be times when you will struggle to apply this into your practical life. You know, I talk a lot about lab of life where you have to take these principles and apply them into life situations. And then, you know, that's, that's what these tools are for. That's where you're going to have to use these tools. But you might feel that I can't see how this applies. And don't simply make a decision based on just one talk, because you haven't got it. I've got to be very careful when I say this, because it might sound like I'm... Begging you to stay. Or that I am appealing you to listen to the sermons. What can I do? But that's not what I am saying. What I am saying is. This Dhamma is real. It is true. And it is very effective. I have tried this medicine and it works. So I can only recommend to you. But what I'm saying is, just because you take one or two doses, doesn't mean the symptoms are going to go away. And sometimes, taking that medicine can be, sometimes a bit challenging, but hang in there. Give yourself an opportunity, give yourself a while, before you make any harsh or rash decisions. This is more really for our online listeners than for all of you. Because we do, from time to time, we, I do get some feedback. And that's always, you know, any feedback is good feedback, whereas, as far as I'm concerned. Sometimes we do get some feedback, you know, from various individuals. who say, you know, uh, I've been listening, I got it, but now you're just going on about something bizarre, you know, and I'm, I'm tuning out. I'm just not getting it. You seem to have gone astray. So this is the feedback that I get. It's okay, you know. People are entitled to their opinions, aren't they? And it's okay because I, I know, person. I know. I know this for certain, though, that you know, no one's going to take trouble to write down a lengthy email and send it to me, you know, out of vice. They'll do it out of good intentions. You know, there's something that's bothering them and they want to express that. And they'll say, perhaps, you know, consider your style. Maybe talk about something that is more meaningful. You're talking about things that are just so abstract. How is anyone going to understand all this? I think when those situations, you, when you come across those situations, I think rather than always pointing it outward, you know, maybe... Maybe just consider, perhaps it's my, I just haven't got the capacity yet to work this out. So maybe I just need to hang in there a little bit more and listen to a few more. Maybe analyze this, practice this, and then I'll get it eventually. So hang in there is what I'm saying. Just hang in there. Give it a few Right? So, just because one doesn't work, two doesn't work, I suggest, because this is, you know, I can't can't lay down rules. This is not, it's a free choice, right? No one forced you to come here. No one's forcing you to stay here. Right? And no one's forcing you to leave. So, this should be completely a voluntary exercise. You can't be forced to attend Nibbana. That's one thing you can't be forced to do. You can't be forced to listen to these Dharma sermons. Hearing is something you can do, you can be forced to do, but listening is not something you can be forced to do. It's a voluntary activity. Make sense? Okay. All right, so that's out of the way. Let's talk about what's going on. Let's talk about what's going on right now. Let's understand what's going on right now. Stuff is just happening out there. Things are happening. Things are going on. And there's an instrument that exists in this universe, that is, or whose purpose it is, to perceive these incidents. There is an instrument for that. It's like there is sound in this room right now. You have an instrument, that allows you to perceive, that there is sound in this room. So, you have an instrument that is receptive And sensitive to that form of energy. Yeah? We call that the ear. There's light in this room. If you were all blind, what I've just said would have made no sense to you. Because the presence of something is irrelevant. If you can't perceive it. The presence of something only becomes relevant when you can perceive it. Because that's when you know it's there and that's when you know something can or should be done about it or with it. So when you walk down the road, right? you be careful where you put your step because you know there are rocks. So unless you perceive it, it's not part of your world. So unless you perceive it, you have nothing to do with it. Its presence is of no relevance to you. You'll, you, might, you know, you, you might stub your toe on it, and it might hurt, but you just know that it's hurt. You won't know how it happened. imagine that because you don't know what a stone is or what a rock is. You've never seen it. You, you have never perceived it. But from, you know, once in a while, your your feet hurt. Imagine that. Right now, you know it's happening because you saw where you put your foot. You saw where you hit your foot, right? But imagine, oh, just say, mosquitoes. If you couldn't hear, if you couldn't see, all you'd experience would be what? The sting of a mosquito and if you went to the doctor you'd think that there's something wrong with you. What would you go to the doctor and complain? If you couldn't see or hear mosquitoes. Yes. You'd say doctor from time to time I feel these stings in my body. And then after a while I get lumps. I I don't know how it happens and usually the lumps they happen almost immediately. Along with the, the stings, but I don't know how it happens. But can you give me some medicine for it? You'll say. Do you need medicine for that? No, because you know that this is a mosquito, but only you know that it's a mosquito because you can see it. So, until, until, unless you can see this mosquito, unless you can hear this mosquito, you think you're, you're just getting the stings. You don't know how it's happening. Therefore, it's of no relevance to you, it's not part of your world. Although the consequences are very much part of your world because that you can feel. Are you seeing any resemblances? Read between the lines. <laughs> huh? You don't know the mosquitoes here. You can't see it and you can't hear it. Therefore, you can only feel the sting. And the lumps and the itch, and therefore you go and complain, it's itching. Give me some itch cream. Or you'll get one of those scratches. You know the one that looks like a hand with a stick? Yeah? Yeah, you know that. I used to have one before. You, you could use it to rub, uh, scratch your back. Very yeah, <laughs> very convenient. so you'd go and find some you know either treatment or you know a back rubber or back scratcher, whatever you'd call it. I'd, and then for the lumps, you might go and ask for an ointment. I, I had these lumps on all over my arms, on all over my legs, on my back, on my face, on my head. And, you know, from some days, I get it all over my body. What you don't know is one mosquito got into your bedroom. Just one. Just the one. But you can't hear it and you can't see it. Would you chase it away? Oh, I just love it. Where did that come from? Thank you. You can't see it, you can't hear it. Would you chase it away? No, at least, you know, if you can hear the the, the noise of the mosquito. The if you can hear that, then you'd chase it away, wouldn't you? And if you can see it, then you'd teach it a le- lesson that you would never forget. Hmm? The last lesson it will learn in that lifetime. But if you can't see or hear it, then the only thing that you can experience will be the lumps, the itch, and the stinging pain. If it's a particularly insidious type of mosquito, you might actually get a fever after a while perhaps your arms, your legs will grow this big. Right? Perhaps you might get a temperature so high that you can't do anything, you start shivering. But that's all you'll experience. You wouldn't know where it came from. Just think about, you know, before... People found out about bacteria. Hmm? People just got, they just fell ill. They didn't know where it came from. They didn't know what to do about it. But that didn't stop them from suffering the consequences of it, did it? So you see, this mosquito that I'm talking about, unless you see or hear it, you can't do anything about it. In fact, not you can't. What's the word? You? You won't. It's not a case of you can, but you, you know, and it's not a case of you can't, it's a case of you won't. Why would you? Yes. Until people figured what it was all about, they just suffered the consequences, they suffered from the symptoms, but they couldn't do anything about the the cause. So, as I said, let's try and figure out what's happening right now. There's a mosquito in the room. Hmm? There's a mosquito in the room. Question is, can you see it? Can you hear it? Can you perceive it? Unless and until you do, all you can do is complain about its symptoms. The symptoms of a mosquito bite. Or a sting. They don't bite, do they? They sting. Yeah. So a mosquito sting. It pains just as much. Whether you know that it's from a mosquito or not. Matters not, it hurts just as much. It just hurts just as much. And the lumps, just as much. The only difference here is, if you know that it's a mosquito, that's responsible for that, now you can do something about it. You can chase it away. You can put something on your body, you know, mosquito repellents, so that they don't come and bother you. Those of you who have done any meditation will have this experience. Right? Actually, you know, when you're meditating, you have to chase away two kinds of mosquitoes. Isn't that right? The one kind, they come and sting you. The other kind, they've already stung you. You've got to chase them away. So this, what we are trying to do here is to try and spot this mosquito. Just because they are small don't think they are incapable. If, if one mosquito gets into your bedroom hmm? if one mosquito gets into your bedroom are you going to sleep that night? Say, you've got no mosquito net. You can't switch on the fan. There's a power cut. Right? Now, how many mosquitoes are needed to keep you up that night? (laughs) Just one. Does it have to be a big mosquito? No, just tiny ones. Sometimes the smaller they are, the more painful they are. So, What we are trying to do here is to try and spot this mosquito. Right, now you know that that was a metaphor. Right, let's come back to real terms. What's this mosquito? Yes. In other words, if we relate it to what we've been talking about the past few weeks, this is what we refer to as suffering or jati. This is the mosquito that, we've never, that we never saw. The mosquito that was always there, but we never saw. Therefore, we didn't chase it away. Again, go back to that example. You're blind and you're deaf. Have you ever seen a blind and deaf man chasing mosquitoes? Hmm? You'd never see that, because in his world, mosquitoes don't exist. In his world, the pain of the sting exists, the itch exists, the fever exists, Right? malaria exists, dengue fever exists, all of these exist, but what doesn't exist is the mosquito doesn't exist. So we are referring to jati. Jati is the mosquito. And the moment it stings... Now you have to suffer the symptoms of that sting. As we practice, what we try and do is to spot this mosquito. Because you know once you've spotted it, you don't just let it hang around. You know only only trouble will come. Only grief will come. Only fear will come. Only sorrow will come. So therefore, you want to chase it away. So the first thing that we need to do to free ourselves from that pain is do what? Spot the mosquito. That's the first thing you need to do. This is what we call mosquito ditti. Yeah? Mosquito ditti. If you don't see the mosquito, you're not going to do anything about it. And actually, usually you hear it first, and then you see it. That's generally how it happens. You know, especially in your, if you're in your bed, right? You've closed your eyes and, of course, you can't see it now. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to hear it. That characteristic, annoying hmm? noise of a mosquito, you're flapping its wing, wings, and you know, right? Okay. We've got business tonight. I'm going to be busy tonight. I I know, but now these days you don't, you know, give it the capital punishment, do you? Hmm? These days you're very kind. So what do you do? You try and catch it. Huh? <laughs> Cover yourself up. Oh, you try and catch them? Like, as they're flying. In the hope that you haven't hurt it, heard the little thing and you take it outside and go, Oh. (laughs) I didn't mean to do that. Teach you a lesson. Right? So these days you are you are more subtle in your mosquito fighting skills. More gentle. Good. That's how you should be. You know, you, don't, you shouldn't have. You don't. You don't have to sleep in a room full of mosquitoes this is not a blood donation campaign, right? Remember, you know, this path to nibbana is not paved with foolishness. You got to live wisely, be intelligent, and use your wits about it, right? So, if, you're, if there are mosquitoes in the room, either. Give the room to the mosquitoes and you go and sleep outside. Or tell the mosquitoes in you know, a in in nice in a nice way, please go outside. This is my room, I need to sleep. If they don't understand, then shoo, chase them out. So you don't need to coexist with mosquitoes, especially if you you know, if you're trying to get some sleep. But don't hurt them, don't kill them, don't harm them, just Chase them out. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a more practical advice. But coming back to what we're talking about here. We need to spot the mosquito. Whenever you spot the mosquito, now you're in your senses. You know, this is, remember the four-step approach we talked about? The first step was to come to your senses. This is spotting the mosquito. Spotting the mosquito. Come to your senses. Then realize that this is not I. This is not me. As in this is not who I am. It's not part and parcel of this existence. This is simply an external factor. An external defilement. A visitor. Right? Just because a visitor visits your home, and say a, a visitor—I think the example I used the other day is visitor—you have a doctor who visits you—doesn't make your home a surgery, or a or a clinic, or a hospital, right? They're just a visitor. Otherwise, you know what happens if a stray dog would walk into your home, <laughs> right? So just because you have a visitor doesn't mean now your home is converted to. Be the residence of the visitor. So that's why, when someone becomes president, they take them to temple trees. They don't say, Right, wherever you are right now, we're going to call it temple trees. That's not, that's not how it works. So, when you have this defilement, when you realize that, ah, Jati is playing its dirty tricks, in other words, when you've spotted the mosquito, realize that this is the mosquito now. That realization immediately sets your mind to work. It it helps you recognize that this can be dealt with. One of the worst things that people, one of the worst traps that people fall into when jati takes over the mind is to feel that it is an intrinsic part of you. That you are that. And then either you give up or you continue to indulge or you feel guilty. These are all emotions which are actually symptomatic of jati itself. So the moment it comes and lands on you it makes you feel that it is part of you. It takes away any distinction that you have between this vipaka and the presence of jati. Right Now again to our online listeners, this is a bit heavy. I understand, but hang in there. It will all make sense. But you just need to be patient. I am talking about what happens to the mind. i'm talking about when the mind goes frail when the mind is weak when the mind is ailed this is a this is a condition that happens to the mind this is a, a disease of the mind this is a mental disease and when this happens there's no saying where it's going to stop people will be People will go as far as, or a mind can go as far as committing heinous sins when it goes insane. Hurting a Buddha, murdering an Arahant, murdering a mother or a father. It can go even that far. That's the worst it can go. But that's what happens when the mind goes insane. You've got to admit that in this long journey in Sansara, you've all been there. it's hard to imagine that in this incredibly long journey in Sansara, we've never committed heinous innocence. You know we can, you and I, you know we can't, as I say, you know, every sinner has a future, and every saint has a past right today. You may all be saints, but remember you have all had a past and likewise every sinner, they have a future. The future of that sinner will be the saint. The past of that saint would have been the sinner. So we've all been there, we've all done that and bought the t-shirt. These things that I talk to you, I say, you know, heinous sins, and you think, that's never going to happen. Well, it has. It has in the past. And if you're not careful, you can again. Because this is not the first Buddha sasana that we've come across. We've, be, we've come across a few of these before. I can't say many, but we've come across a few of these before. unimaginable things can happen when the mind goes insane let's not go as far as he in a sense just think for a moment about some of the things that you've done and then later on you thought to yourself how on earth did I convince myself to do that hmm? are you all going to tell me that you've never had those situations in life where things happen and you thought me I did something like that Yeah. There might have been times like that. Right now, you might feel that that's so not you. At least, you know, think about your school days maybe. If, if you know, if in your recent past you've not had some, you, there's nothing, you know, that remarkably sticks out. Maybe in your school days, or maybe in your youth, right, some of the things that you might have done some of the things that you might have said to other people, how you conducted yourself when you got angry, Mm -hmm. and when you went off the deep end, what happened? When you lost your sanity, when someone made you go mad, not insane kind of mad, but you know, as I say, when you you went angry, right? can you, uh, do you does it not bother you now to think that that, that was me? You can't. You, you might even feel that that was that was completely someone else. That was not me. How did I conduct myself like that in those situations? Remember, every saint has a past. You know, while you're here. You'll all feel very virtuous. It's the way it is, right? On a Poe day, you all feel very virtuous. It's typical. I mean, I felt the same. Right? On a Poe day, you wake up in the morning, you put on this white dress, and then you go to the temple, Swaminans is there, sit down, observe the precepts. Again, this is typical of Jati, because it has a way of projecting itself. Both forward and backward. That's the way it is. I'll explain that. Actually, I'll do it now. This is typical of Jati. So, when this happens, you need to know. Ah, mosquito. While this is going on, and each of these thought moments is hijacked by Jati. Say if it happens at this point. It projects this to the future. And to the past. This is typical of it. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching you, I'm sharing these things with you so you know how to spot the mosquito. Okay? This is a very important lesson. You're lucky if you're here today. Very important lesson. Remember when the Buddha was asked, Venerable Sir, how do we know that what we are practicing is a path to Nibbana? And he says, nibbana. The eradication of desire, aversion and delusion is Nibbana. Remember, the I, I want you to understand that he didn't say jatikya ke nippana. But the truth is, it is the eradication of jati that is nibbana. But the thing is this, raga desha moha, or desire, aversion and delusion, they are the symptoms that allow you to catch the mosquito. In their presence, you know that the mosquito is still in the room. When you feel lust, That's when you know mosquito is still in the room. When you feel anger, that's when you know the mosquito is still in the room. Ego, mosquito is still in the room. When you have the lumps, that's when you know the mosquito is still in the room. So that's how you are going to have to catch them. Because jati, it's not something that you can sense to say, it's it's only through wisdom that you can see it. It's only sensitive to the wisdom eye. But when you're angry, you don't need wisdom to know that you're angry. Am I right? Yeah. When you're having sensual thoughts about something, you don't need wisdom to catch that. I mean, even dogs know that. You don't need wisdom for that. You know, kick a stray dog See what happens. It'll turn back and bite you. Is that wisdom? No. It's angry, furious. You know, someone who intoxicates themselves. Right? The Siripala from the village who intoxicates himself every day with a bottle of Kasiqpool. He comes home and does what? Shouts at his wife, hits her. Mistreats her, right? Is that is wisdom? Does he need wisdom for that? No. So you don't need wisdom for that. Therefore these things can be caught. Ragadesha moha, they can be caught even without wisdom. But it's through wisdom you can, it's only through wisdom that you realize that these are symptomatic of Jati. So why am I sharing this with you? When this happens, I need you to come to your senses. Jati or the mosquito is in the room. Let's talk about a few examples so it will better sink. Right? Remember the last time you went to a wedding? Was it yours? (laughs) It could, could, could well be, you know, for some of you. You know, ever since that happened, you realize, oh boy. Bad mistake. <laughs> or maybe you found the Dhamma after that, and then after that, you realized, nah. Okay, anyhow, just jesting with you. So, last time you went to a wedding or a party, right? You went in front of the mirror, you. Put on your makeup, look nice. Right, standing in front of the mirror. Don't you feel you are? Did, didn't you think that you were you were beautiful, you were handsome,
1: hmm?
0: you are you are pretty? And when you saw yourself in the mirror, honestly answer this question: Did you did you not feel that this is forever you? There would have been a part of you. Looking at yourself in the mirror, you thought to yourself, I am this good looking. All right? So you touched up, right? Fill in the, uh, fill in the blanks. Huh? Cover up the spots. Hmm? Darken where it needs to be darkened, lighten where it needs to be lightened. Isn't that right? Hmm? Straightened where it needs to be straightened. Print yourself up. And then you looked in the mirror and went, Huh, oh, not bad. Not bad at all. I like what I'm looking at. I like what I'm seeing. Hopefully others will as well. And that's what we call wishful thinking. So, anyhow... You looked at yourself in the mirror and you, you liked what you saw and then you couldn't help yourself. You know, this is not something you do voluntarily. It just happens. When a mosquito bites, it is not your choice whether it stings or not. It's all part of the package. That itch that comes afterwards, right, that is not a, it is not voluntary. It, it's part of the package. So the only thing you can try and prevent is is the stinging of the mosquito. After the sting has been made there is no point talking about the things that happen after that because you can't stop them. Okay? That's not what we are about. We are about getting that mosquito out of the room so it doesn't sting us again. So when you stood in front of the mirror and you saw yourself in the mirror you thought to yourself I am this good-looking. Now you need to be—you need to be really sensitive to this, right? This, these logically, of course, you know that you know. Once you go into the wedding, and if it's you know, say a brother or a sister or someone close to you, and you start you know hugging them and start crying because they're leaving you, right? The, it's going to ruin the mascara. Okay, so logically, you know this. Right, so that's why you put waterproof mascara. Logically, you know this. this. This is all going to happen. But, as you see yourself in the mirror, you can't stop yourself from feeling that you literally are that good looking. And you feel that this is how I'm going to look all day, every day. Now, I know, I know I know what you might be thinking right about so I mean, samina I know, you know, next morning I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna look nothing like that. Yes, but I'm talking about in the moment in the moment you see yourself in that mirror. You, know, you know, that's what happened to your spouse. They saw you one day, looking your best, and then they thought what? She's always gonna be like that. So I'm saying you know, you've got to admit that this happens. Right? Oh you saw him and you thought he's always going to be like that. When you saw him he had a six pack. Now he has one. <laughs> yeah? That's how it happens. You gotta admit that this happens. It is the nature of the mind. When well it's not the nature of the mind, it's the nature of the mosquito. When this jati happens, it projects the future. Answer this question for me. Remember the last time you fell in love? Hmm? Maybe you had an affair with someone. You're actually falling in love, right? You, when you fell in love. Now I'm talking about the last time. <laughs> right? If you're as fast as me, then you know what I'm going to ask you next. <laughs> okay. See, I had to ask, phrase the question. Remember the last time you fell in love? Meaning it it's happened several times before, right? But answer this question for me: When you fall in love, that person that you fall in love with, do you ever feel that this is going to be a short-lived affair, or don't you genuinely feel at that time that this is I have found my partner for life? Hmm? Don't you genuinely feel that I've found I found my partner for life? How many times has that happened? <laughs> How many life partners have you had? <laughs> uh, for some of you it happened when you are in grade 5. You found your life partner. And then in grade 6 you found another life partner. Right? Then second term of grade 6 you found another life partner. Right? If you are an average human being this is how it would have happened. And then you know, if, they, if they shuffle people around every year in class, right, if you've been to mixed school particularly, right? every year, this will happen. This is, this is typical of this mosquito. Because whatever you're experiencing at that moment, it projects that into the future. And it gives you this impression that I'm always going to be like that. This is also why you have guilt. Because the present moment looks back at the past and thinks, okay, that's going to be the future. Because, you know, say, in the moment you're feeling guilty, really, you know, you're, when you feel guilty about something you've done, it's because you now admit that what you did was wrong, right? Otherwise, that is, what, that is how you would define guilt when you have this remorse about something you've done. But at that moment in time, when you're thinking about it, you project it into the future and you feel that you are that kind of person. That's the kind of person you are. Therefore, what happens next? You can't stop punishing yourself because you know that that's a bad thing, it's a terrible thing, it's not... It's not, it's not a good thing and therefore now you feel that you're, you are that kind of person. Like when you stood in front of the mirror and thought I am this good looking. When something bad has happened and that comes to mind, you feel I am this bad. I'm this bad. I did something like this and I'm that bad. I'm this terrible. Because you project it into the future. And then you'll tell how can someone like me ever attain nibbana?" Now that's when we'll have to say, give, give you t- stories about, you know, but Angulimala. Just think about it. You know, why why do we have to say that thing, those things to you? Let's say, you know, you've you've hurt someone, okay? It was something bad, something really terrible has happened, and you come to the monastery. You want to speak to a Swami you know, say, make your confessions, right? Plenty times when we make, when we help people make their confessions, we'll tell them. But you know, there are people like Patachara. You know, terrible things have happened in their lives. Mistakes have happened in their lives. But you know, then they realized at one point that that was wrong. And then they moved on. So, don't live in the past. Move on. Just because you've done something like that doesn't mean you're going to do it in the future. Why do I have to say that to them? Because that's how they feel. This is symptomatic of the mosquito. So, why am I sharing this with you right now? Spot it. Catch it. Zap it. When you catch this mosquito, spot it, catch it, zap it. Come to your senses that this is the mosquito doing this, it's not you. Last week we talked about separation. The mind wishes so much. It's so desperate to do this task of separation that even if it's something bad, it will still use that as a scapegoat to separate itself. You know, there's a a slight satisfaction that you get when you think to yourself, I'm a murderer. Can you believe that? When you do something bad and I say <laughs> it's so funny this. Right? When you if you when you've done something bad, you will even use that to say that you know I am this kind of person. So I'm I'm separate to everyone else, you know. I'm a liar. I'm a liar. Unlike you people, I'm a liar. So I am separate from all of you. To affirm that sense of separation. It will go to great lengths. Catch it, is what I'm saying. Catch it when it happens. Don't miss these opportunities. Because if you miss them, then you're missing the trick. Otherwise all you'll have to do is suffer suffer the consequences. You'll have to suffer the sting, you'll have to suffer the itch, you'll have to suffer the lumps. Let's take another example. You go to a a gardening center. Or garden center. And they have some flowers or plants, right? Flowering plants and so on. You look at them and go, Oh, that's really pretty. How much is this? They give you a price. I'll take two of them. Right? You bring them home because when you saw them, Okay. when you saw those flowers that's why they have it with the flowers when you see those flowers common sense goes out the window ok common sense goes out the window logic, rhyme, reason, rationale they are all out the window because if there is logic, rhyme and reason you don't get this this is where there is no logic this is where there is no reason This is where there's no rationale. This is when the mind has gone mad. Right? So you see those flower pots and you think to yourself, wow, they're always going to be like that. Yes or no? Yes. Next time you go to the garden center, you know, do this game with yourself. Take a moment and really ask yourself, Don't I really feel that this is always going to be like that? Isn't that why I'm I'm going to pay this money and take it home with me? And this is also why, when, if you know, once the flowers start withering away, now you're not happy about that because that is not what you wanted. You projected that into the future and you thought to yourself, it's always going to be like that. Catch yourself when this happens. This is the mosquito. Spot it, catch it, and zap it. Oh no, no, no. Buy it, buy it, buy it and bring it here. Buy it. Recognize and realize what you are doing and buy it. So I'm I'm really grateful that the good lady asked this question, right? This is a question that I get a lot of the time and it's 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 a very valid question. It's a very important question, very good question. When we feel this sense of pleasure, should I walk away from it? Should I abstain from all types of pleasure? Should I, uh, am I supposed to be against pleasure? Because the other, I'll I'll tell you why I I thought that this is something I need to talk to, you know, you one day. One day I saw someone sitting, they were were at a sermon, and I saw this, this gentleman sitting on the edge of his seat. Okay, so initially I thought that maybe he's feeling a bit sleepy or, and he's just trying to keep himself awake. So, then I just um, I just felt I had to ask him, because he just looked very uncomfortable. I, 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 you know, I just couldn't look away and I thought, perhaps I should just go and ask him. I asked him, Sir, why do you sit like that? Throughout the sermon, he would sit like that. Right at the edge of the seat. So much that if, if you know, someone just knocked it by, by mistake, he would be on the floor. No, no doubt about that. You know, Maybe a few millimeters. The rest of it is him is just in the air. Okay? So I asked him, Sir, why do you sit like that in the summers? As I've seen whenever you come to the monastery, you, that's how you sit. Why do you sit like that? And then he says, I sit like this because I don't want to experience pleasure. I don't want to give myself pleasure because I fear that I will be attached to it. I will, I will get attached to this pleasure and that will eat into my Nibbana. So I don't want to do that. Sounds like a good idea, right? Sounds a good plan. So I asked a few questions. So I, I, I didn't say yes or no. I just said, right, okay, I, I really appreciate the your reasons for doing this, you know, you feel that you want to attain nibbana, therefore you're trying to do whatever you can. The first thought that came to my mind was Attakilamatani Yoga. But you know, that's for me to think and for him to realise. So so I then said, Sir, when you're hungry, what do you do? When you're hungry, what do you do? He said, I'll go and eat something. What happens when you eat when you're hungry? So, when I eat, when I'm hungry, my hunger is relieved and I experience, oh, (laughs) shucks. So, what should you do then, sir? That's what I asked him. I should eat then. But you know that that is not the right answer, sir. Yeah? It's not a sensible answer. So, pleasure is not necessarily a bad thing. Pleasure is not necessarily a bad thing. An Arahant would go on an arms round. And, you know, then there was another... Was it the same gentleman? It might have been. or might have been someone else. Actually, I think it was the same, same gentleman. Another day, right, I... I saw that he was in great pain and I saw him walking along this, this stretch of road and I I realized that he he as he was walking he had a sort of a limp and but he was he was trying to pretend that nothing was wrong. So I again I, I I, I reminded that, remember that situation. and Asked him, "Sir, did you not sir, a while ago, a few, few? I can't, I couldn't remember when. I said a few, you know, some time ago. I remember you were walking down this road and you had a limp, but you were trying to hide it. Did something like that happen?" He said, "Yes." I asked him why, because he said I had stepped on something, uh, something, something sharp, and actually he had cut himself but what he he you know how you normally walk when you when you cut your foot like you you try and prevent your foot from touching the ground right just to you know give yourself some time to heal right so that because every time it touches the ground it's going to be so painful so therefore what you do is you'd lift the part of your foot and then you would walk and so it becomes obvious there's there's a change in your gait But this gentleman, he pretended that nothing had happened. But it was so obvious that something was not right. So I asked him, why did you walk like that? Because he said, now, although it was painful, if I had not put my foot on the ground, I would have given myself pleasure. So therefore, I walked as I would normally walk. But it was painful, wasn't it? Oh, you can say that again. So he endured the pain and kept on walking because he is so worried that this pleasure, the experience of pleasure will erode his Nibbana or whatever efforts he has made to attain Nibbana. What do you think about this? Yeah? Because, I mean, that's the truth. If you're angry with someone, hm, say you have a good friend, your best friend, something happens, he or she does something that you didn't like and now you're angry with them. Okay? You're upset. Let's not say angry, you're upset with them. And, you know, you, you feel that they have really broken your trust and you, you, don't, you don't talk to them for, for a few days at least. Now, when you say, I don't like this, I don't like him, I don't like her, I don't like what he's done, what you're also saying is, there's a version of him that I really like. Right? I'm just not getting that version. That's what you're saying. So, whenever you are against something, there's a version of it that you are deeply in favor of. Meaning, it has done nothing. To rid the mind of attachment. Pleasure is there is a there's a place for pleasure. We take food when we are hungry, and as you know, once you take that food, you know, your your hunger is, is sated, and you know you you feel the sense of relief. That is allowed in the Buddhist Sasana. There's nothing wrong with that. That is allowed in the Buddhist asana. The problem is not that. The problem is, when you go seeking that pleasure, when you are in love with that pleasure, when you make it your life's purpose to seek and achieve that pleasure, that's where the problem is. Because even with physical relief from pain, there comes a, a, a physical experience of pleasure and that physical experience of pleasure also has a mental counterpart. Okay, Just as much as there's a mental counterpart to physical suffering, which is what we call dukkha. In the uh, eleven great fires, you know we, we talk about dukkha. This is not the jati dukkha, but the dukkha that comes from the, the mental counterpart of the physical suffering. It's like you know when, a, uh, when you are hurt, sometimes you can be hurt for a few days, but the, the wound has healed, but it still hurts. That is not a physical pain. That is the mental counterpart of the physical pain. It's a mental extension of that physical pain. That is the thing that is problematic in in Buddhist philosophy. That is what we are trying to fix. So, when when you... So, there is really no need for you to sit at the edge of your seat for fear that sitting comfortably is going to give you pleasure. There's no need for that. So you know, if you find yourself sitting on a throne one day, right, and it's the most uh, opulent piece of furniture that money can buy, sit comfortably. Sit comfortably. If you have a, if you, if you are given a cushion to sit on, say you you walk go somewhere, they give you a wooden bench, right, and someone offers you, shall I give you a cushion? You don't have to say, oh no no no, it's fine. I like it hard. I like it rough. There's no need for, say, to, to, for you to say that. If they offer you of cushion and you know you feel that it's going to be a bit more comfortable, then accept it. The problem is not that experience. The problem is if you 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 uh, psychologically, mentally, you feel that your you know that you want this pleasure, then you start going after it. That is where the problem is, because remember, that is the relief from vexation, that vexation that you need to sort out. And besides, right, even if we put all that to a side, pleasure is okay for as long as you know that it is pleasure from relief from vexation. The problem is when you don't recognize the origins of pleasure, that's the most dangerous thing. If you don't know, if you think that, a ple- that pleasure comes from a bar of chocolate, that is a problem. Because then there's no, there's no drive, there's no motive for you to ever free yourself from that, from that bond. But if you know that yes, this, this piece of chocolate it tastes really good, but I know that this pleasure comes from relief from vexation, now you're doing it knowing it. So that doesn't feed your ignorance. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Remember, it's ignorance that leads to attachment, which leads to suffering. So the more ignorant you are, the more attached you are, and the more, suffer, the more you suffer. Don't allow your experiences to feed your ignorance. If you, if someone walked up to you and said, you know, say, you know, when you were very young and naive, Okay, Uh, maybe the first boy you met or the first girl you met, right? And and they they walked up to you and said, "I like you." Maybe that was the first time you ever heard that from someone. If if any of you have had that experience, go back to that time in your life, and you know, didn't you honestly feel that, "Wow, you know, someone actually likes me so much," and you know, that was your first partner for life, right? When when that first happened. Someone said, "I like you. I really like you. You're really good looking. You're pretty, right?" And it, 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 it gave butterflies in your stomach, right? and you started sweating, and you started. You didn't know what to do. Right? You, you immediately went into some kind of, you know, hyperdrive mode. You didn't know what to do. You know, you, you were like, "Should I tell my mother? Should I tell my mother?" Right? And then you just couldn't contain yourself. You had to go and tell your friends about it, right? So it was just so exciting the first time you heard someone say like that to you. Maybe they didn't even mean it. Hmm? Maybe they just heard it. On the, you know, they watched something last, the previous night. Maybe they were watching a teledrama. And they saw someone, a boy, went and said to a girl, I like you. And they are oh, I like you. All right, okay. I should try, I should try it sometime. <laughs> right? So the, the poor kid came to school and he saw you and he said, I like you. Didn't mean anything. Little do you know that he's just walking around telling all the girls, he says, I like you, I like you, and I like you. But as you heard it, and that was the first time you heard it, you felt you're really special. And you found your life partner. Okay? Now, that was when you were very naive as a young child. But later on you realized that just because someone comes and says that they like you, doesn't mean that, you know, they're going to marry you okay that's that's a completely different thing so now even if someone comes up to you and say i like you you know you just because they say that doesn't mean you know you're going to hand over everything that belongs to you to the other person and say right you know let's let's sign the paperwork <laughs> yeah so now you 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 exercise a bit of caution that's the same thing i'm talking about here Pleasure. Pleasure is okay for as long as you know that this is pleasure and you know the origins of pleasure and you know the mechanism of pleasure. Because then, that experience of pleasure cannot, it does not add to your ignorance. The more ignorant you become about pleasure, that's the dangerous part. I I like to borrow a, a, a simile. When you hold a hot rod and you know it's hot, how would you hold it? If you're supposed to hold a hot rod and it's and you know it's hot, right? And you say it's uh it's red hot, okay? You've got no glove on your hand. You you you're shown a red hot. Do you remember the first time you saw something red hot? You didn't know that it was hot. You was you just saw it was red. Maybe it was you know a coal or something in in a barbecue. Or maybe the fireplace, and you say, "Oh, that's that's that looks nice, nice and red." Huh? But later on, you realize red means hot. So therefore, if you touch it, you're going to burn yourself. Right? If you know that red means hot, then you shouldn't touch it. Right? Then, even if you had to, even if you had to, you'd be very cautious and you'd be very quick. Right? Say something fell on you, and you had to get rid of it. you'd You know, in an instant, you get it out. But if you didn't know this, you'd hold it with all your force and you'd burn yourself to the bone. The same concept applies here. Because as much as I will try and preach to you and help you realize the Dhamma, let's be honest, pleasure still has a place in your lives. Doesn't it? It has a place in all our lives. You know, right from the very basic needs such as hunger, shelter, or you know, food, shelter, clothing, medicine. You know, these things they give us an element of pleasure. This pleasure is physical, and then there's mental pleasure. When someone says something nice to you, you you know you still feel good about it. So pleasure will still have a place in your life. When you eat something nice, you still feel that it's tasty. If you smell something nice, you'll feel that feel that it's fragrant, right? Perhaps when you when you go shopping, you still choose the bar of soap that you buy, or maybe you know if you use an air freshener in your washroom or in your you know in your living room, you, there's still a particular brand that you like or a particular fragrance that you like. What I'm saying is, that's okay. That's okay, provided that's in block capitals. Provided that you know that this pleasure that I experience is not something that I got from the uh, scent bottle or from the bar of soap or from the piece of chocolate or the cake or the biscuit or whatever. It is simply relief from vexation. Because when you've done that, you've spotted the mosquito. You've spotted the mosquito. That's the most important thing. That is where Sotapanna starts. That is where the Noble Eightfold Path starts. When you are just starting out on the Noble Eightfold Path, You are not completely void of pleasure. You will still experience pleasure. But the moment you step into the Noble Eightfold Path, now you'll know that any experience of pleasure I receive, I experience, or I get is what its origins will be relief from vexation. This is a symptom of a disease that I've got. Therefore, that experience of pleasure is not going to be something you're going to rejoice. In fact, even when you experience that pleasure, part of you will be enjoying that experience. The other part of you will be going, "I need to do something about it. Something's really wrong with me." Just imagine <clears throat> your car, okay? When you switch on your car, or oh, before I go to the car, imagine there's there's a there's there's a there's a beat that you particularly like, okay? Uh, let's say it sounds something like. Uh, Okay, and you like it, right? Now you switch on your car, and you hear this? What are you going to think about the car? Oh, nice car. It even makes the beat that I like. Are you? you going to be like that? No, of course not, because you know something's wrong with the car. It's not supposed to make that noise. No matter how much I like it, no matter how much I enjoy it, it's not supposed to make that noise. So something's wrong with this machine, I need to take it to the garage. Right? So apply that principle here. When you experience pleasure, that pleasure is a feeling that is pleasurable. But you need to know, this is not right. This is not right, in fact, it should be a guilty pleasure, a guilty pleasure, not that same kind of guilt, right so not the kind of you know i I feel guilty about what I did yesterday I'm talking about something else I'm talking about when you experience pleasure, you need to know that something's wrong with me. I shouldn't be able to experience this because the mind's purpose is not this. the mind is not here to experience pleasure because you know that pleasure can only be experienced from. Relief from vexation. So therefore, this is symptomatic of vexation. So how can you throw a party about it? You can't. That you need to to have about you. That should always be with you. That realization should always be with you. Now, I'm sharing these things with you, ladies and gentlemen, because I want you to spend your week, I want you to spend your day, I want you to spend your morning, your afternoon, and your evening thinking about these things. Aware about these things, cognizant about these things, if you don't, time will just pass, but you won't be making any progress. You need to be skillfully aware, consciously aware. So this is not just awareness of awareness for the sake of it. You know there will be some books that you, you might come across say about you know Buddhism is about awareness, you know whatever' is going on, just be aware of it. That's not what we are talking about here. In fact, you know, I've heard some people even say, and I've heard some books that will say, you know, when you're feeling lustful, just be aware that you're lustful. That that doesn't add up to what the Buddha said. When you're feeling angry, just know that you're angry and be angry. That's not what the Buddha said. You know, some I, I've I've heard sometimes people say you know the nature of an arahant is someone who experiences all the other feelings that anyone else does, you know, right from carnal desires uh, to to lust to rage to anger because apparently they feel the full full breadth of all human emotions, right? And 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 all you have to do, and all an arahant does is he knows that he's going through it, whereas you don't. Apparently, you know, some people's interpretation of arahanthood is that, I'm saying don't fall for that. That's not what the Buddha achieved. Because if if you have lust, if you have anger, that's killing you on the inside. How can that be Nibbana? That's like saying, I know the mosquitoes stinging me. So, that's it. I know it. That's all I need to do. Just be aware of it. That's not the awareness we are talking about here. You need to be rightly aware. You need, to be, you need to have right awareness or samma. Better word than right would be samma awareness. That is samma sati. Awareness, awareness of what's going on here. Right? Awareness, as I say, when you experience pleasure, you need to know that this is pleasure, but pleasure comes like this. That this, is, this pleasure is rooted in ignorance. Otherwise, where's the motive? To free yourself from that. If you are in love with pleasure, then you are not going to make any progress. But if you have fallen out of love with pleasure, and you still experience pleasure, that's okay. Remember, you can't stop yourself from experiencing pleasure. It's, it's Because it's a process. It's the result of a process. You can't forcefully stop yourself. All you can do, like you know, if you wanted to extinguish a fire, you can't just stop a fire all you can do is take out the causes get take out the oxygen take out the flammable whatever the wood or whatever right and 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 the temperature only by altering the causative factors can you make an impact on the result your liking for something or dislike for something has no effect on the result itself but if you know that this is how a fire takes place, I'm being burnt right now and that's because of the fire and the only way I can extinguish the fire is by doing something about the causes. Now, you don't have to keep burning. Now you can do something about it. What I need you to do is spend your week, spend your days reminding yourself, keeping yourself aware, reflecting on this. So, whenever you experience pleasure, you don't need to walk away from it, ladies and gentlemen. Please, I, I want you to get that straight. Okay? If you eat something. Uh, so, you know, please don't let me find, if I ever have to visit your homes, right? That, you know, your, 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 your fridge is empty. And all you have is water. I ask, why is this? Because now I, am, I, I don't experience pleasure, so I'm in answer. All I, all I consume is water. What about food? I take soil for that. <laughs> please, okay, please, 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 never, never have me find something like that in your homes. And if I ever visit you, you know, you don't, don't let me see there are just hammocks at home, or just you know, no cushions, hmm? or you know, it's just now uh, what do you call? You now live in. Um, Mud kuti, right? Because you realize that you know living in a flat or living in a tiled, air-conditioned, you know this is not uh, helping you attain any burn. So you, you've given up everything, and now you are living your life as an ascetic. There are some people who make that choice because it's 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 a simpler life, easier to live. That's a very different reason. That I appreciate, right? Because when you have lots around you, there's a lot of maintenance to do. Isn't there? I mean, if you have to have a fridge at home and all the shelves, remember? Oh my God! Ooh. Every month I had to clean the damn thing. Now I remember. Huh? I had to defrost it. For that you got to wait a while, right? And then all the water starts, you know, going all over the kitchen. Now you got to mop it, right? And you got to take out all the shelves, right? And then put soap on it and hold it to the sink. And then have to take a sponge and then wipe the whole thing. Right? Some... There'll be some... uh, Stains. Right? Some stubborn stains. Right? They just won't go. And you'll just keep on rubbing all day. Trying to get that out. Yeah? You you know what I'm talking about. Yeah? And then under the fridge. Oh, my God. Yeah? You know what I mean. Under the fridge. Right? No broom. They don't make brooms. They go under the fridge. Under the uh, fridge. Right? So now you got to either move it out of the way, or you got to tilt it. And apparently, it's not good to tilt your fridge, right? So you got to move it out of the way, and then you got to sweep the place and put it back in there again. Right? That'll take about half a day. So if you could live without one, as I do, uh, that, that's a very different reason. Just you know, living a simple life. I I, I remember having to wake up or oh, at least the previous night, you know, when we used to live there, we'd have very little sunlight. Okay? So, things used to have to go in the washing machine, and then we had a dryer, because you couldn't put things out to dry in the sun, because there, was not, there wasn't enough sunlight, especially in the winter season. So, the dryer was what was used to dry things, and the problem with the dryer is, some fabrics, when you put in there, it comes out like a papadum. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, you know what I mean. right? And then what do you have to do? Iron the thing. Now you get the spray iron. Spray, spray, iron. Spray, spray, iron. Spray, spray, iron. Ladies and gentlemen, believe you me, there are some days I've ironed a pair of trousers for three hours. And that was a half day at work. Huh? Three hours I spent ironing a pair of trousers. And sometimes, you know, you iron the pair of trousers and then well, once you try and get into it, you realize the zip has come off. Now what do you have to do? Put it out, get another one. See? I mean, you can, you can, without punishing yourself like this, you can live a simpler life. For that reason, I'm you know i'm i'm all all for that if you, if the reason you don't have a fridge at home is because you have found another way to sustain yourself and it you don't need to you know put dead things in there and keep it from rotting right then it's okay but but you know please don't do it because you no longer want to experience pleasure that's the wrong reason the experiencing pleasure or not experiencing pleasure is not the path to nibbana Eradication of vexation is the path to nibbana. Not relief from it or being patient about it. None of these two things are the path nibbana. Those are byproducts. Don't worry about them. That's why I say whenever you experience pleasure, the thought that needs to come to your mind as you spend the day, as you spend the week is what is the origin of this pleasure? Think about that. Don't, don't experience pleasure without giving that some thought, is what I'm asking you to do. Then you've not even made use of that experience. That would be a loss. sir Yeah, even that's possible, yeah, isn't it? Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Sometimes you might feel that I, I don't experience any pleasure in my life, so it must be that I have now completed what I need to do. Don't need to do that. So well, I was talking about projection, and we somehow segwayed into this. Whenever you experience pleasure, this will project itself. It will give you the impression that this, this pleasure is long-lasting. It's, there, it's going to be there forever. It is how you made some decisions in your life, and today you regret Because you can't stop yourself; it it just happens. But although this happens, it only happens in the in the environment of ignorance. Okay, you know some things will only happen while the mind is ignorant. The moment the the mind comes back into its senses, okay, the moment the mind comes back into its senses, now a different set of vipaka is going to draw. That is what we are trying to do here. Change the temperament of the mind. Or what we call the gatiya. That's what we are trying to do here. So that you will have your wits about you. Have a good sense of judgment about you. Understanding of Dhamma is is going to help you do that. So when you you stand in front of the mirror and I mean I say you know next time you have to go somewhere, go to a party. You know, you don't have to go there looking like a, a hag. You know, go, and go in front of the mirror, you know, dress yourself up, you know, put on your makeup, dress your hair, put on your, you know, whatever you have to put on, your best jewelry, right? And, you know, make yourself presentable. That's quite all right. Okay, even if you go there looking like, I don't know, Miss Universe, it's still okay. I'm saying that's okay. I mean, you know, let, think about it for a second. What if you were naturally considered beautiful? What can you do about it now? I know beauty is only in the eyes of the beholder, but, you know, there are lots of beholders, <laughs> right? <laughs> we live in a world full of beholders, and there are conventionally accepted norms for beauty, right? Like, for instance, if, if your nose is right in the middle of your face, then you'd be considered good-looking. Whereas if you had it somewhere else in your face, then people would say, no, doesn't fit my image of beauty. Yeah. So sometimes, maybe in some cultures, some countries, uh, you have to have plump lips. Maybe that is their image of beauty. Maybe in some cultures, you have to have a long neck, whereas in some cultures, maybe it's a short neck. Maybe you, have, you need to have sharp eyes. In some cultures, you know, long and, and and thin. Maybe in other cultures, you need you know large, large eyes. Maybe that is what is considered pretty. So depending on where you are conventionally there will be an accepted definition of what beauty is so let's say you are born beautiful what is beautiful again fitting the bill okay i mean that is what your vipaka is if you've if you've helped other people make their lives beautiful what will generally happen is let's say in in one country somewhere in the world their image of beauty is when you have your nose on the back of your head right imagine a girl or a boy being born into that country with their nose in the front of their head. What would, what did, what, what would that person be considered? Ugly. Hmm. Mm. And being is what they call pretty. That's what they call pretty. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know. Tell me about it. Huh? See, at this young age, this gentleman is confused. Yes, about what uh, is beauty. So. Now, he's all right. I'm waiting until he's 14. Don't worry, Buddha. You won't have these problems. We'll sort it out for you. Okay. So, so that's the thing, you know. Some some countries, natural beauty, they say, right? With, without makeup, that's what they think is beautiful. And, but in other places, you know, you have to make yourself up to to fit someone else's description of beauty. So my my point being, you know, your vipaka will take you wherever, right? And if you are born into a country where having your nose in the back of your head is what good looking is, good vipaka will. Give you birth with a nose at the back of your head. Whereas if you've done a papa karma or a bad karma, then now you'll be born with the nose here, in that country. That is how vipaka works. Because different environments demand different variations of, of what good looking and beautiful and, and so on. Now, why am I talking about it? Ah, because we project. Right? This mind in the presence of Jati, when this mosquito has, has, has stung, right? this projection happens. And when this projection happens, I need you to know that this is what's going on. I need you to know that this is what's going on. That's why, you know, when you got yourself a new car, then you know, go back to that day in your mind. Right? Just just imagine that you saw your car, maybe it was in the showroom or the dad brought it home and he saw, wow, new car. Right? When you see that, you, you immediately get this feeling that it's always going to be a new car. I know logically that is not true. And you know that as well. But you can't help yourself from feeling this. Common sense will tell you, of course not. This car is not going to be like this forever. But you're going to project that new car feeling into the future, and you're going to feel this is always how it's going to be. You know, let's be completely honest, right? You know the price difference between a car in the showroom and the car outside the showroom? Yeah, the moment you drive it out, right? The moment you drive it out, you've already lost several thousand dollars of the car's value. The only thing that's happened is that it's, not, it's no longer in the showroom. That's the only thing that's happened. But in every other way, it's the same thing. Now, knowing that, people are still, some people are still inclined to buy a car from a showroom. No, it's not for me to say whether that's right or wrong. My point is not that. My point is, when they see that car in the showroom, their projection tells them that this car is always going to be like that. That's why you like that new car smell. When you experience that new car car smell, you know, there there isn't a voice in the back of your mind at that time telling you it's not going to be there forever. At that time, the the voice in the back of your head is going to go, this is how it's going to be. You're blind, blind, absolutely, yeah. Very tunnel visioned at that time. This is all you see because what you experience in this moment is your projection into the future. Remember, there are no two chittas at any given time. There's always ever going to be one. And that chitta is all that can happen, that can manifest, that can do and perform all the tricks. So, when that chitta, when that mind moment is hijacked by this mosquito, now that projection happens. What I'm asking you to do is be aware of that. Therefore, I'll, let me give you another example. Say someone uh, is angry with you, or someone comes and scolds you, shouts at you, or someone betrays you, right? If you've ever been in, the, in that situation, you will know that if, if you ever come across someone, if you've had someone betray you, you, you can't stop yourself from feeling that they're always going to be like that. You can't stop yourself from feeling, I will never, I will never trust you again. That happens because you feel that what has happened in this moment will always be like that. We have this, again, this is symptomatic of separation. You use that characteristic to separate them. These are the untrustables. That's what happens. These are the untrustables. And then when you trust them, they are the trustables. So all we do is we move one people from one box to the other. <laughs> Don't we? We put people into boxes. They teach us about this in business and in psychology. Right. They, they'll teach you about this, you know, don't stereotype people and, you know, don't put people into boxes. Right. They, they'll teach you all about this, but they don't tell you why it happens. They'll just tell you it's wrong to do that. Don't do it and be aware of it when you're doing it is what people say. I, I've been reading up a little bit about, you know, some of these this, this psych, psychological you know, issues and problems that people have, especially in the social setting. Right. Uh, for instance, um, stereotyping. Right? Uh, or, or, or unconscious biases. Right? There's a lot of research about some of, some of that stuff, And people say, you know, if someone is of a different race to you, be aware that you will have your own reservations about some of, some, some of them. You will have your reservations. Uh, you will have these unconscious biases towards or against those people. And what they'll teach you, because I, I remember learning this when I was used to be um, at work. And, and they used to, you know, every, every few months they'll give us some GPL um, which is basically you know, statutory learning, okay they'll give you some statutory learning and to teach you that these things will happen just be aware of them and, and try and overcome them they never said this is how you stop it from happening because they said this is symptomatic this is typical human nature fair enough because that's all they knew <laughs> what can they do? I mean, they, they said what they knew, right? It's not like they knew the truth that they didn't say it. But now you can, you can learn. Here you understand, you realize why these things happen. So why am I sharing this with you? Because I want you to take this knowledge that Dharma chakra I told you about. Take this with you as you go and live your lives. When you feel these biases towards or against people, recognize that what you're doing is Separation. You'll have this person I can trust, this person I can't trust. Why? He's black. He's white. It'll be like that. Or oh, this is, a, this is a, a male person. That's a female person. Again, separation. Stereotyping. And then you'll segregate. Statutory learning. Social norms. Decorum. These things will teach you, be aware of it, and, and deal with it. Be aware of it and, and deal with it. When you are talking to a customer, they will teach you this for in customer, customer service training. right? When you are in front of your customer, uh, be aware that you might have your biases towards them. You might feel that this person cannot be trusted. Why? Because of their complexion. They teach you this stuff. If you if you've been where I've been, you you'll have learned some of these things, right? Because of their complexion, you'll feel that you can't trust them. Because of how they wear their hair, you'll feel that you can't trust them. Because they wear glasses, you'll feel that you know you can't trust them. Because of their accent, huh? Because of their accent, you'll feel that you can't trust them. Racial stereotyping, but they don't tell you. How to stop that from happening because they don't know why it happens. They'll tell you, deal with it. Be aware of it and deal with it because if you don't deal with it the right way, then you can get into a lot of hot water. Saying, we know if you said the wrong thing, then litigation after that. But you know, people live in a completely different world to the to the world that they display to the outside. That's why you know, everyone's putting up an appearance. It's like living with the Joneses. You know, they are all putting up an appearance. I mean, I know personally. Uh, you know, I've—I've—I've—I've I've, I've, I've been around people who've who shared with me their their most intimate feelings and, and how they feel about people. You know, I, I had the good good fortune of having uh, you know a, a person who who really trusted me, and I and I asked him. You know, when you when you see people of color. And he was a good friend of mine. I asked him, when you see people of color, how do you feel? And he said, I feel that know I am superior. I feel that they are inferior. But I deal with it. I know that I shouldn't be feeling this way. But I can't help myself. Because these things have been indoctrinated in my mind. So I feel that they are inferior, I I feel I am superior. Or if it were the other way around, I would feel that I am inferior and they are superior. I don't know what to do about it. I can't stop myself from feeling this way, but I just have to deal with it. You know, so they live their lives going through those emotions which they don't want to have, but they do. Because no one's there to help them. That is not very different to someone feeling lustful thoughts about someone, and they know that they shouldn't have them, but they have to go through life dealing with that. Yeah, just you know, let's just say, you know, someone has has thoughts like that about maybe a cousin or a close relative, their closest friend, and they know that this is vicious. I can't let this out, I can't share this 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 secret i you know I have to bottle this up and keep this secret from from them my entire life I can't share it with them because if I do, that would split us up no longer friends, no longer relations it would it would completely destroy our family so I can't say but but I can't stop myself from feeling this way sometimes you might you may have children who will have situations like this and they'll come and tell you they'll tell you, dad, I've seen this girl, I like her, yes, who is it It's about time right you know who is it? It's my niece. What? No, 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 no. Such things has never, have never happened in our families and, you know, it's not allowed. You can't do that. Yeah, but, you know, it's easy for you to say. How can I stop myself from feeling this way? Can't help it. Bottle it up. Live with it. I'll marry you off to somebody else. Now what will happen? Now he'll get married to somebody else, but he'll have to live always loving. Someone else. Shouldn't people be helped to free themselves from these from these traps? <laughs> what is the other, how can you free them without teaching them this truth? How many people do you think go through life like this, deal having to deal with these problems? You yeah. Please don't be offended by some of the examples I give you because these things happen in society. All I'm saying is this is going on in society. I challenge you to come and tell me, no, Swaminas, this is all just happening in your dreams, dirty dreams. Come back to your senses, Swaminas. These things don't happen. Everyone's a saint out there. You tell me that, I'll stop bringing these examples out. What if you felt like that about a teacher? How do you stop yourself? What if a teacher felt that about their student? Tell me those things don't happen out there. I won't bring these examples out. You might think I'm being very indecent. No, I'm dealing with real life problems. That's what the Dhamma is for. To help you deal with them. What if it happens with a colleague? And there are are rules and regulations. There are boundaries that have been set in place. You know, maybe if it's a client... And you are not allowed to have interpersonal relationships with your clients. What then? What if you are a judge in the Supreme Court? Hmm? Now you have to give your judgment on a case. There are two people standing out there and one looks beautiful. Tough times, eh? How do you deal with that? What about the biases? That keep tugging at you from one side. And then logic, rhyme and reason. That keep tugging at you from the other side. Now there's an internal battle going on. No one sees that. Oblivious. To all that. There's a battle that's going on inside. You have to deal with it. Apparently being mature is being able to deal with that. I say being mature is not having to deal with that. Is to be able to be free from that. There are some people who, when they see a child, they have lustful thoughts. They call them pedophiles. But how can they stop themselves? Am I going too far? Tell me when you want me to stop. I'm here to give the Dhamma so that people can sort out their issues, sort their problems out. I never want this to be your future. Because we don't need to worry about the future if we deal with the present. Do what you have to do today. You won't have to worry about that future, that dark future, that unglorious future, that disgusting and nasty future. You don't have to deal with that. If you sort it out in the present. But what if you have those thoughts? How do you deal with that? What they'll tell you is you have to be mature. Right? But you can't talk about it anyone. Who do you think you can go and say, you know, there's a child, I really like him? They'll lock you up just in case. Nothing's happened. They lock you up just in case. But where do they teach you how not to have those feelings? It's not like you know they pre-plan for it. There's no such thing as a premeditated pedophile. That's not how it works. You don't know when those thoughts will come. Come to you. You don't know when you're, you know, if it's the right time, if it's the right place, if it's the right environment, because environment is everything. In the right circumstances, you can't stop yourself from feeling how you feel. What we are trying to do here is we are trying to purify that environment. We can't change the outside, so we have to change the inside. We have to change the temperament of the mind. Clean it, so it does not attract defilements. Yeah, just think about it, folks. Right now, again, I repeat. Please don't feel that I'm offending you or I'm being, I'm trying to insult you or anything like that. I'm just talking about a mind when it goes into vexation. These things can happen, right? I'm sharing these things with you so that I can prepare you. By by giving you the dhamma, okay? Let's say your best friend leaves their child with you, right? Young boy or young girl, maybe eight or ten years of age, hmm? leaves leaves their child with you, and they they trust you. They trust that nothing will happen to the child. Because there is no such thing as you. Right now you're feeling virtuous. Okay? Right now you feel nothing bad will happen. Nothing. I'll never do something like that. Something that is untoward. Something that is, you know, that is vile and vicious. I I would never do something like that. Yes, right now you wouldn't do it. Because right now you're feeling virtuous and that is projected into the future. I'll always be virtuous, is what you feel. That's why when people go back on a poor day after they go home, you know, you know, they feel like you know, if you bump into a tree, you'll become an arahant. That, that's that's how virtuous people feel. But that is this projection. But remember, each chitta on its own, and each chitta to itself. That's it. Right? Whatever the environmental factors are, those vipakas will start to grow and, and it will be processed that way. So, let's imagine, you know, some, a best friend leaves their child with you. If, just if, just if you feel something you shouldn't be feeling, now you're going to have to live with it. How do you deal with that? You're going to have to pretend that nothing's nothing. And apparently maturity means keeping those thoughts to yourself and not expressing them. Because if you do, then you're going to get in a lot of trouble. But, you know, people who've been in those situations and they've succumbed to their you know, their guilty pleasures they didn't plan on that happening. That much I can tell you. They didn't plan on that happening, but they happened. Those things happened. Perhaps, you know, it might have happened in your families. Maybe, you know, it happened with your child. I know plenty of children those things have happened to. Parents thought it was a good idea to leave them with their, some relatives, relations, neighbors, trust, having trusted them wholeheartedly. And in the end, terrible things have happened. But what if that person was you? Now, how would you deal with it? How do they deal with it? When, you know, Anagarika Mahatthaya, Swami Mahatthaya, they come to us, you know, they make their confessions. You have no idea what some of those stories that we get to hear are, You have no idea. Some of them are shocking. Serial abuse sometimes, but they've never been able to either say to someone or deal with it because someone somewhere didn't have the Dhamma to deal with those situations. What they learned was recognize that you have these thoughts and don't express them. So, what they're saying is be patient, keep it in, bottle it up, right? For as long as you can bottle it up, bottle it up, bottle it up, just keep bottling it up. What happens when pressure builds? It bursts. This is a flawed concept. This bottling up business does not work. It's a flawed concept. How long can you keep bottling things up? Because, you know, one day maybe, second day maybe, third day maybe, by the fourth, fifth, sixth day, you know, you begin to relax. You'll start with little things. You maybe a word. Maybe you offer them something. Maybe a pat on the head. Hmm. Maybe a pat on the back. And then lower back. You know where this is going. Ah, talking about that. I instructed our Siyumaga team to do some lessons for our Siyumaga sons and daughters on how to spot when they are being abused drug abuse sex abuse and pornography abuse so these things are the devils and the demons that are waiting to get your children so we are going to do some special educating and training for our young children so that they know they can spot it when it's happening to them. And we'll we'll help them to build up confidence in their minds, to go and speak to their parents. Because right now, the thing is, it's not that these things are not happening. Right now you just don't know they're happening. How do we know this? Because when they come to us, they tell us. And you didn't know anything about it. You didn't have a clue about it. Because they don't feel confident enough to come and talk to you. So, in this program, we've planned even, we've gone even even as far as giving out to each of our children a card that has a little symbol on it. That's all. Because there might be times when they, they feel so shocked, they can't go and speak to their parents. All they have to do is go and give Amma, I want to give this to you. And he walks away. That's enough. Now, you need to know what's happened. Something's happening. Go and sort it out. Figure it out. Help them. Protect them. Look after them. So that's, that's we, are, we are planning for that. That will happen in the near future. If there are parents among you who feel, no, no, I don't want my child to go through that, then you can please let us know so that on that day, you don't have to bring your child in. Some parents might feel, you know, my child is too innocent for things like that. Well, what they don't learn, don't learn from a teacher, they learn through experience. Yeah, I've seen these kind of programs in other countries unfortunately you know all the bad stuff have been coming unfiltered right the pornography is there the drugs is there the sex is there what's not there because apparently it's not good for our our society and you know and, and our you know and, and the way we work, and the way we work it's is teaching our children how to protect themselves from it that apparently is not good because we have to say dirty words to them No, we are going to teach them about their private parts. That's, what, that's how we are going to teach them. They say, Puta, these are your private parts. Parts that we cover, there are private parts. No one's allowed to see them or touch them. So, if anyone tries to see or touch your private parts, go and give that card to your mother. If you can't say tell them what's happened. If someone tries to show you his or her private parts, because private parts are private parts, they are not to be seen or shown in public. Then, again, go and tell your mother about it. Go and tell your father about it. If someone gives you something and says, Buddha, here, here's a toffee. You've been a good boy. Have it. Take it, put it in your pocket, go home and give it to your mother. Then the mother will know what to do about it. Whether you should eat it or not, let your parents decide that. Some young children, you know, I was only I was informed just uh, yesterday. Some young children, they they want to come up to us and make confessions. Young boys, young girls, but I've instructed our Swami says not to do that unless you get the, the parents' consent. Right? So your children. They have wanted to make confessions with us. But I've said, let's first get parents' consent. Because you have to decide what you want, want, what's right and wrong for your children. We can only instruct and advise you. One day will come where you will hand over your children to us. Then we will decide. Until then, you have to decide and you get you know you get to retain all the that that judgment, but you know we are we are ready and we are we are prepared to help save your children from the from the nasty demons that are out there to get them okay you need to play your part, so your children will have if they come to see you i right, even if they don't i mean even if they don't right. And if you are listening to these sermons online, at least give your children a card or something, a token that they can keep with them, so that in the event that something happens one day, and they have been threatened, perhaps, speak about this, and you will no longer be alive. Sometimes they may be threatened. We know these things because we've listened to the stories. People have come and said to us, what has been happening to them in their lives, serially abused, sometimes several months, several years, only because they couldn't go and speak up about it. Because either they were threatened, or they just didn't have the courage. But, if it's just, you know, go and give your mother this, that's all you have to do. Hmm? When you go home today, give this to your mother. When the mother picks up, she knows something's going on. Now she can find out. She can investigate. So we're going to teach your children how to do that, if you permit us. Again, I digress. So that's coming. In case you want that, you want you want your children to have that lesson, then bring them in. We'll do everything we can to look after them while you still keep hold of them. But when you bring them here. Then, we look after them. So, people have these feelings, but they don't know what to do about them. That's what I said right at the start. You know, there are good people who were once bad people who go on to become great people. But, at the same time, there is no such thing as a good man or a a bad man. What there are, are thoughts. Thoughts like this. Once the mosquito bites. Now, there's no saying what can happen there's no saying what can happen after that i don't want you to find yourself in that situation. What I want you to do is to be aware that this is going on and at least when that when you are aware of what's going on, you can deal with it that's when you can really deal with it okay that's when you can really deal with it because this happens because of ignorance so just Coming to your senses about what's going on. That this is, these are defilements that are playing tricks on your mind. That in itself, that, that in itself puts you back into your senses. Lights up that, that light. Now you know. Okay, mind gone insane. You can only be like that for a moment. After that you are back to your senses. Now you can walk away. You know this from your personal experience where you've been in such situations and the only recourse that you had was I shouldn't be feeling this way. So let me control myself. You know what I'm talking about, folks. You have to admit. I've been there. I know the feeling. This is not right. But what can I do about it? I've got to deal with it. How do I deal with it? There's no book that tells you how to deal with that. There's no lesson that teaches you how to deal with that. They don't teach you that for psychology. They don't teach you that for Buddhism, uh, for, for, for science, for math, for religion. They don't teach you that. They just say, deal with it. Your maturity is your ability to deal with it. So, how come we have so many pedophiles? Why aren't people dealing with themselves? And, you know, if if people say, age is maturity, come on. Half the time, you know, things that happen, you know, on buses and trains and so on. Half the time, they're the so-called mature people. Because all they've done throughout their many lives of having lived is aged. That's all that's happened. It's like whiskey or Arak, aged. That's all that's happened. That is not maturity. You can be six, seven years old and be more mature than that through your understanding of the Dhamma. You know, I... I can sense. I, I've told you, I can, I can always sense you. I don't know why, but I can sense, sense some of you, or at least most of you. I know you have been in life situations where these things have troubled you. I don't know who, but I can sense it. So I can't put a face to this, but I can sense it. Okay? Don't ask me how. I, I don't know myself. I know you've been through these situations in life. I know you've had troubled times in your lives. I know there have been difficult times in your lives. I know there were times in your lives where you were really pushed. Every ounce of willpower was put to the test. There will have been times where you were able to fight, but there there will have been times where you failed. And I know that you never want to be in that situation again. I know that you never want to have a day in your life that you regret. And I also know that unless you equip yourself with the teachings of the Buddha, this nonsensical separation that we do and therefore get ourselves into this. life-destroying, soul-crushing experiences in our lives. Unless we understand the Dhamma, there is no recourse. There is no other way. There is no alternative. So, deal with the present moment. Do this now so that you can prevent that ugly, horrendous, future from ever taking place. You can't change your past. But you can decide your future. To do that, you just need to do what you need to do in the present moment. When the mind is hijacked, that's it, you've lost the battle. Unless you chase this mosquito away, unless you chase it away, it's going to do its harm, it's going to do its damage, and then you're going to have to suffer all of the consequences that pursue. Recognize what's going on here. Recognize that these biases, these inclinations, these affinities that you have, they're all based on this tendency and the need to separate Because separation is considered so pleasurable whenever separation happens you will feel pleasure. We talked last week took several examples. This bouquet of flowers this arrangement of flowers rather is prettier than if these flowers were all the same color. If it did not have this mosaic arrangement it would be very plain This looks better, this looks prettier because of that separation. Having understood that, now take that understanding to the next level as you go and live your lives. Spot those times where you begin, where you attempt to separate the things that you see around you. For example, things like discrimination. They'll teach you that you have to deal with it, but they won't teach you how it happens. Now you know how it happens. If you feel that someone is beneath you, now you know why that happens. It can happen even between religions. You know again people use religion to segregate. Right? We are separate to the other people. Right? I'm a Buddhist. So therefore Buddhists are better than Christians. They're better than Muslims. They're better than Hindus. I'm a Hindu. Therefore Hindus are better than Muslims. They're better than Christians, they're better than Muslims, they're better than whoever, Jews. You can't stop yourself from feeling that way. It happens automatically. It happens. You didn't even know what you were until your parents told you what your religion was. So, really, it's not something, it was not your birthright. It didn't come with you when you came out of your mother's womb. You know, between your mother getting pregnant and she giving birth, if she changed her religion, what religion would you, would you be then? Think about it. Huh? So you're not born Buddhists or Muslims or Hindus or Christians or whatever. right? These are things that you learn about yourself just because other people around you tell you that this is who you are. But once you've gotten it, now that is something that you use to set yourself apart from other people. Why am I giving you this? Because this will happen to you in society. When you are living out there, these things will happen. And then, you know, when, there's a, when there are people doing, you know, maybe there are some individuals who are engaging in some kind of rites or rituals. It's one thing to think to yourself, the truth has set me free. That's another thing. And there are other people in this world for, who haven't realized the truth yet. Compassionate thoughts, there's a place and time. and You know, there's a place for that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a sense of ego. I'm talking about the sense of separation. They are different to I, I'm different to them, you know, I'm better, they're worse. That kind of thing. You know, if you if you feel that, you know, being someone from a wealthy family, if you're wealthy and you look you look upon or you you look down at the poor, again you separated. That separation has happened in your mind. It's very difficult to stop it, folks. I'm telling you. It happens. The, you know, the first thing to dealing with any problem is first to accept it. Okay? So there's nothing wrong with that. Accepting the problem, there's nothing wrong with that. So first, there may be some who don't have this, but, you know, but there'll be other facets in life where this will this will be more prominent than, than others. Okay? For some people, it'll be wealth. For others, it'll be authority. others, it'll be power. Right? Others, it'll be your race. For others, it'll be your religion. For others, it'll be your gender. for others it will be your looks for others it will be what you have what you don't have even someone who doesn't have something will say I'm still special unlike all of you I don't have a limb see I'm special unlike the rest of you I don't have both limbs whereas all of you have at least one I don't have both see I'm special that is also again separation See how dirty this mind is. It'll even use its own handicap. Yeah, it can happen, absolutely sir. Yeah, it can happen. You know, if that's what I say, that's what Guruhandra says, and, and the Buddha has said, you know, this is like the serpent. Be very careful where you catch it. You hold it anywhere else and it'll strike. And you will be poisoned and killed by the very thing that you're trying to use to save yourselves. I know, now I'm talking about really subtle things here, folks. Okay, so now these are for the regular practitioners, they are for people who who are who are who are always, you know, learning and listening and want to apply these things into your lives, right? So, be take whatever you can handle. Okay, I'm just dishing it out. Okay, there, some of you will be able to grasp more of this, others maybe not so much. Right, take what works for you. Because I'm throwing out hats of different sizes. Your head will be of one size, right? Check your hat and put it on. If this is not the right size, then put it back and take another one. Okay, because there are people of all types, right? So, that's a good point. So, you know, your practice of the Dhamma can make you feel superior to others. Understanding the Dhamma simply means that. This and this, you are cleansing the mind of the environment which is conducive to defilements. That is all practicing the Dhamma is. So therefore a mind that has more realization of the Dhamma is a superior mind. Yes, I admit. But I am talking about something else. I am talking about if an Arahant were to feel that I am an Arahant unlike other people now, these people are just, yes, they're stupid people. You know, they don't understand the Dhamma. But I'm an Arahant. Look at me. I'm, I'm free. I'm liberated. It's that sense I'm talking about. That cannot be an Arahant. That cannot be an Arahant. That's why I said the other day, you know, if there were two Arahants, and we said, Venerable Sirs, right, one of you are going to have to become a, a, a you know, a Prutakjana again, I'm afraid. Right? Can please, one of you, volunteer... Imagine we had to say that to two Arahants. Okay. Now what do you think the Arahants would, would say? Take your pick. They say take your pick. Whoever. Because to the Arahant, they are both just minds. It's not like this mind, my mind, their mind, his mind. So I should be free, you, it doesn't matter what happens to you. They don't feel that way. All they'll feel is, all they'll perceive is, these are two minds they are both now free of defilements. If one has to go back to the old ways, then it matters not which one it is. That's why to the to the arahant mind, all things are equal. Why? because there is no separation among them. But this separation you need to understand you know I'm talking in a in a third dimension, right as I say, you know regularly, listening to these Only if you do that will you actually understand the the depth of what I'm saying. Otherwise you might ask me, What you're telling me there's no difference between those two things? That's not what I'm talking about. There is and there isn't. In one way there is, in another way there isn't. But the essence of today's talk to you, what I want you to do, folks, is to be cognizant, be responsibly aware. Responsible to whom? To yourselves. You know, like they said, drink responsibly. Huh? So, be aware responsibly. Be aware of what's going on. Spot them. Catch them. And zap them. These mosquitoes. Identify when these separations take place in your mind. Identify when you feel like you are special. Whether you are superior or you are inferior, they are both defilements. When you feel like you are no good and everyone else is better than you, again, you are setting yourself apart. <laughs> you are setting yourself apart. You are saying, I am special, you see. I am so special that everyone else is more special than I am. That is how special I am. Oh, I am so special that no one, is, no one is as special as I am. That's also special. So be mindful about this. What they don't teach you out there is how to, how to completely eradicate these thoughts. What they, te- what they tell you and teach you is how to deal with them. You know, Like they say, anger management courses. There are anger management courses on there. There aren't any anger eradication courses, are there? No, there can't be. Not unless you come to the Buddha Sasana. Yeah? There will be anger management courses. Sometimes there might be lust management courses. Hmm. How do you manage your your desires? Because they will tell you desire is a healthy emotion. Sir? Absolutely. Once you have identified the mosquito, you know that this is a product of ignorance. That this is not the mind minding its own business. You know that the mind is going, it has gone crazy. It's gone insane. See, that, that's what I'm saying. When samadhi takes place, the remainder of the path is virtually automatic. What doesn't happen is people come into their senses and realizing what's going on. That is Yonisamana Manasikara. Once you've understood the doctrine, all that is required is coming into Yonisamana Sikara. Come into your senses because then now you are in samma in samma land right in samma land in the land of samma which is the land of having recognized that this is the cause of attachment and ignorance in that land now you've seen the problem i don't need to necessarily teach you what to do with the problem i only need to show you the problem Beyond that, it's just real regular practice, you know, engaging in meritorious deeds. Right? So, say when you're when you're doing your meritorious deeds, folks, right? Say you, you uh, say your meritorious deeds. You want to go and uh, say offer alms to a So I've been I've been talking about this for a long time too, you know, Many times I've said in the past. Right? Say you, you bring a piri Now you see that there's sahminanza here. Again, what's happening is, now the mind is trying to identify an individual here. That's why we say, don't offer it to a person, but the virtues, the qualities, right? recognize them. Not the person, because this person is simply an illusion to a deluded mind. I don't exist. This is simply a vipaka. This is the vipaka that is the reward for the karmas that you have done, or this mind has done really. Once you come to that recognition, now everything in the world around you begins to be seen in that light. Right? So after you've seen that this is, that is, that's what's going on here, then I don't need to give you an extra push to see that it's the same thing going on everywhere. See, think about how we were deluded Anicca dukkha anatta. Instead, it was Atta, right? So they didn't keep telling that to you every single time, did they? Once Atta was implanted in the mind, they didn't have to teach you what else to do. You get my point, right? So when micchaditti got into the crept into the mind, no one came and taught you miccha sankappa, or miccha vacha, miccha ajiva, miccha kammanta, did they? No. After Wrong view came in, then wrong thinking, wrong, wrong speech, you know, false speech, and all that. It just came as a byproduct. So you don't need a special course training program for that. These are all, when the mind wants to relieve from vexation, all of those things will happen. So, because when the mind sees the problem, the mind will deal with it. The problem here is, the mind doesn't see the problem. It's like that mosquito in the room. Without seeing the mosquito, all you are dealing with are the lumps the itches and the stinging pain. So, what do you do once you've seen this? It's obvious. Once you've seen this, there is the pratipada, which is the practice, right? Which is being being under a teacher, right? Always being cogn- aware, you know, responsibly aware of the thoughts that are going on in your mind, right? Sometimes you can switch off, right? That's why you are in the presence of kalyanamittas who will always switch you back on. That's why I said, you know, make use of your vidyutna for that. Have you know have something have you on your wallpaper, have it on your screen, have it on your computer screen, whatever right or constantly pushing you back here once you 're on the path, once samadhi kicks in, the rest of it happens so once you 've seen that the problem is this, I need not tell you any further what else you need to do because now you 've seen the problem, you realize that this is jati taking place in the mind, so therefore jati is the problem, and therefore jati takes place only because you don't know that it's jati. Right? Because jati is the product of the uh, dependent origination process. Dependent origination of what? Dependent origination of what? Suffering. Or jati. Right? So where does it end? tanna. Sorry pachya sankara sankara vinyana vedana bhava jati So, this is the dependent origination of what? Jati. Where does it all start? Ignorance. What is ignorance? That this is Jati. That is ignorance. When you don't know that this is Jati taking place, you think that these are, you know, other things. Like for example, you know, someone someone shouts at you, you get angry and you think the problem is the other person. Why? Because no no ignorance no wisdom. That is ignorance. Because ignorance hides the fact that it's jati. That is the problem here. So, we we were about yeah. are
1: One is you want
0: Yeah, so that is the truth. Because it's not more, it's not really two minds, but rather there are two forces at play. Yeah? There are two forces at play on the same mind. There is the purpose why the mind came into existence, which is the mind minding its own business. Those five, you know, the five aggregates, that's all the mind came to serve. And then there's the hijack. It's like a plane. Like, if a plane got hijacked, now you could say that there are two forces acting on it. There's the pilot that wants to get it to its destination, always trying to see how I can save this, my, my plane and my passengers from this, from the hijackers. So even if the hijacker goes to take a leak in the washroom, immediately he's trying to call the, the ATC or, you know, trying to get the flight back on track, right? Do whatever he can. So you're going to see that the flight is, you know, in a bit of turbulence, maybe going this way, that way, and so on. But the moment the hijackers are back there, now they'll have their own plans for it. So there are two forces acting here. One is natural, the other is artificial. The natural process is simply what the mind came here to do, which is to mind. Mind its own business. But, because of ignorance and attachment, it got hijacked by jati. And now that jati is, is playing its own agenda. What that is, is, what that is, is separation. So, when, when the need for separation kicks in, now, it creates this illusion that I, this, this sense of self, that sense of self is a product of that illusion. And when that sense of self comes, comes about, then all the other 11 great fires come as a result of that. So when you feel that I exist now, people that are attached to you, things that are attached to you, remember our lesson about belonging? All that now kicks in. And then along with that, you know, when things happen to those things, now I have lost someone or something that belongs to me. My credibility, my integrity, my dignity, my honesty, they are being questioned. How do you feel about that? Hurtful, aren't they? If someone questions your integrity, if someone questions your honesty, or your dignity, how do you feel about that? Because you feel it is my, my dignity that is being put on the, on, the, on the line here. My innocence is being tested here. So when you are accused falsely, you feel, you feel that, 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 stang, that sting, that in your mind, that's hurtful because you feel it's your innocence that's being tested. Why this sense of yourself, myself, I, happens in the mind because of jati. So, what do we do, as the good gentleman asked, what do we do then, now that you've spotted it? Well, now you've seen the problem. Now you see that this is jati that's doing this. Therefore, you stop now your battles with everything else. That's the first thing that happens. Instead of telling you actually what to do, I'll tell you what happens after that. Okay, You stop your battles with other people. No one hurt my mind. No one said nasty things about me. No one, no one uh, ignited the, the fire of sensuality within me. No one did that. Because where is sensuality? It's only a fragment of, or a figment of the mind. It's a creation of the mind. Sensuality is a creation of the mind. It does not exist in anything. It does not exist in a person. So you know, someone might say, "Please don't come here dressed like that." I can't control myself. What nonsense! What nonsense! So then you might ask, well, then why, is Swami Nirantha? Do you say that you know young people should not be exposed to pornography? Because if it's not there, and if it's only inside, then why should we stop them from you know watching pornography? Because they don't understand this. Because because they don't understand this, what do they do? They go in deeper and deeper and deeper into that rabbit hole." thinking, that's where I'm going to find my wonderland. So they keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper. They keep going into it. And then when, you know, you know the nature of pleasure, it never satisfies, right? But if you don't know the nature of pleasure, if you don't know the origins of pleasure, and you feel that this pleasure is something really substantial, you'll keep on digging for it. You'll keep on going for it. That's why a mud hut became a brick and mortar hut house and that's why that became a double story that's why that became a triple story and that's why today you have a mansion because nothing satisfies that's why you started with small things and you went on to big things back when you were younger you had a toy car, today you have a big car what's changed? back then you played with dolls, today you play with other people see, nothing has changed you are bigger you are older apparently you are more mature but it's just the same thing just in a different way that's all it is back when you were younger you played with toy money now you play with real money apparently that's real money apparently says who? because everyone agrees that this is real money now it's real money well when you were a kid didn't everyone agree that was real money? huh? In your play group, didn't everyone agree that that was real money? Yeah, it was just a convention, right? Well, now also it's just a convention. (laughs) It's the same thing. Different story. That's all. So, once you see that the problem here is jati, once you see the problem is jati, now you stop pointing your finger outside. That's the first thing that happens. You never made me angry. You never made me lustful. You never hurt my feelings. Now you stop dealing with the outside. And you don't go looking for things that make you that give you pleasure. You don't go seeking them. If you get it, you get it. Like we discussed a little while ago. If it comes your way, it comes your way. You don't have to run away from it. Right? But if it comes your way, you accept it. But you go, don't go looking for it because there's no point looking for it. That effort is a waste. The time is a waste because that is time you could put into actually realizing the truth. That's why their lifestyles change after that. That's why you see me today here. Something changed. What changed was I realized going after sensual pleasures was meaningless. That doesn't mean that by the time I gave all that up, engaging in them didn't give me pleasure. It did. But I realized, pointless. Pointless. Because it's pointless I stopped doing it. Not because I didn't experience pleasure doing it. That comes later. But first you stop doing things that you know don't give you anything. It's fruitless, meaningless, useless. Then you give up. After that, your realization deepens and then the pleasure goes away. But first you know this has to stop. It is pointless. Why am I wasting my time doing these things? When I, when I have a much bigger thing I need to be doing with my time. Something more important, something more substantial, something really you know, rewarding, something more long-lasting. That's what happens. So you stop you pointing your finger outside. You start looking at the problem on the inside. All the other mental vexations, all the mental agonies and the anxieties and the frustrations and the annoyances, all of these now you find the problem, the root problem. What happens then? The, the moment you recognize it, that realization itself triggers its eradication. So what you're asking me might be, okay, now I've recognized it, what do I need to do now? To stop the eradication. No, that's not how it happens. That's why the very first lesson is, ignorance is the root. To answer that question is why I gave that answer. Ignorance is the problem. So what is ignorance? Ignorance of the four noble truths. What are the four noble truths? The noble truth of Jati. Or suffering. The noble truth of the cause of suffering. jati, The noble truth of the eradication of suffering. The noble truth of the path to the eradication of suffering. When one, when you understand one, you've understand, understood it all. This is in the Buddha's words. You've seen in one, you've seen it all. You can't understand the first noble truth and not realize the other four or the, the other three. It doesn't work like that. So the moment you get alright, okay. This is suffering. This is jati. Now you've seen the cause because you, you know the thing is this: you can't see that this is jati. you can't realize that this is jati and not know that this is because of ignorance and attachment. Otherwise, you've not seen jati. And when you know that this is jati, when you really recognize and realize that this is jati, in there itself you have realized that this is ignorance and attachment at play, haven't you? Yeah. So you've seen the cause. So now, don't you know that? If attachment is there, this is always going to be there. So, when attachment is not there, then this is not going to be there. Now, you've seen the eradication of it. And if the whole thing is driven by ignorance, well, realization of this is getting yourself out of ignorance. So, what more is there to do? Therefore, now you're on the path to eradicating jati. Madam, last question. Do we have to wrap up for this. Yeah, hmm. 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 absolutely. Yeah, 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 big, you know, you can you can regularly uh, contemplate. You can regularly contemplate on the losses that you've had to suffer. On the pain, the, you know, after all, what is the mind constantly looking for? What's causing me this pain? What's causing me this grief? Right. So therefore, <laughs> look at it this way, right? If I say the word enemy, now, forget the Dhamma for a second. So, look everything you learned in the Dhamma for a second. I say the word enemy. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, all the adhi never that comes with enemy, all, all the all the, uh, the the pain, the suffering, the agony that comes, it, it is part and parcel of this this thing called enemy, right? So, if you are always looking for a way out of it, then the mind is constantly looking for a way to be to be free, to be happy. So, what the mind doesn't know though is what is causing all this. But it thinks that its enemy is causing this. It thinks that the the rock that I just stubbed my toe on is causing this. It thinks that my poverty is causing this. It thinks that other people are causing this. That's why as you walk on the road, you're walking always suspicious about other people. That's why when you come out, you lock your door. Suspicious about other people. You don't know what might happen. You're always wondering, what if this happens? What if that happens? So you're always looking for freedom from fear, freedom from grief. That the mind is constantly doing. So when I when I point out it's not that it's this now the intelligent mind will immediately start working on the new enemy. Did I tell you once I I, got, I used to play basketball and I got the wrong basket? Did I tell you that? No silly little story but I forgot which team I was playing on. Huh? It was, a, it was a school tournament, so, you know, we're all friends. So, I, I recognize everyone. So, you know, uh, these things can happen. <laughs> or oh, at least I tell myself. So, I forgot which team I was playing on. So, I, went, I, was, I was trying to put the ball through the other hoop. I, and, I, and I did. And I was very happy with myself. Because there was no one trying to stop me. So, I thought, this is easy. Only then I realized I was actually, you know, I put the ball through the wrong basket. So, then they said, no, not that basket, the other one. So, with the same resolve, with the same determination, with the same willpower, with the same energy, with the same thrust, I charged towards the other ring because I wanted to score. And also score one extra for the one that I had donated to the other team. Right? So, the same thing happens here. Right now, we are playing the wrong team. We are playing on the side of Mara without understanding the Dhamma. And every time we do that, Mara rewards us with, us with pleasure. Thank you. Here you go. Here's a bit of pleasure. Here's another bit of pleasure. Here's another bit of pleasure. Go on, have it. Right? And then therefore, we feel that that's the, that's the team to be playing on. Because he, that's his cheer. Cheer, that's it, my boy. Come on. Come on, boy. That's it. Well done. So Mara keeps on cheering with pleasure. Right. But once you realize that Dribbling the ball that way and putting it in that court is only going to cause you an enormous amount of grief. All this pain and suffering is coming as a result of that. Now you realize, hey, what should I do then? That's the other ring I should be playing for. Now you play with the other team. Once you see in which direction to go, if you are motivated, if you, want, if you are someone who wants to free themselves from suffering, which you are, that's why you've been doing all the things you've been doing. Why did you go to work? Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you cook? Why do you dress? Why do you sleep? Why do you do all the things you do? Why did you go on to have children? Why did you get from work towards your promotions at work? Why did you go work for your pay rise? Why did you start a new business? Why did you build a house? Why did you build it to two stories? Why do you travel the world? Why do you go on holiday? All these things we've been doing, we've been doing because we wanted a sense of happiness. Isn't that the start of all these sermons? We always focus on happiness. So the mind is constantly seeking happiness. What it doesn't know is how to go about it. So once you show it the right path, here's how to go about happiness. Now you don't need to give the mind an instruction manual on how to go about doing that. You just need to show it the right direction. Because the mind is self-motivated towards one thing, and that one thing is happiness. That the mind will always go after. Because it's constantly under the pain and stress and strain of fear anxiety grief right so the mind is constantly trying to find relief from that that is why whenever there is vexation the mind tries to find relief so once the mind is vexed do you need to give it an instruction manual on how to relieve itself do we no when the mind wants something does it not go and get it does it not it does right so no one said how to go about it it always did it So in the same way, once you show the mind where the real problem is, now it will charge itself in that direction. That's why realizing the truth is the most important thing here. Once you've seen the truth, then you will walk towards that. The practice is important for that. Engaging in merits, right? being, Being with a teacher... Right? And, 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 and spending time with your teacher and, and listening to what he has to say, taking that advice on board, you know making, coming out clean with what you've done, you know an honesty, sense of integrity, right all of these things are important. they help, they are the, the supporting factors. but none of these supporting factors are going to be of any use if you didn't get your bearing straight. That is the, noble, is, the is the noble truth the four noble truths. It's once you've, got yourself, once you've gotten yourself the four noble truths, after that everything else are supporting factors. That you get plenty of when you come here. That's why we give you an environment for that. That's why we, need, we ask you to bring your children here. Because when they come here, you know, they listen to the Dhamma, they listen about how to respect their parents, how to because all the things we teach here are either kusalopin. That's it. I mean what else do you need to do? Either merits or cleansing the mind of defilements. These are the two things that one needs to do to attain Nibbana. So when you are, even as you are doing your merits, as I said, if you come and offer another Pirikara here, right? that is the meritorious part. Now you can convert it, transform it, upgrade it to a Kusal part. How? Realize that you are doing this for virtues. This is an offering that is made for virtues. You are not doing it and you are not doing it for me because these two things, you and I, are illusions of your own mind. The two of us, we don't exist. But Vipaka exists. And the qualities and virtues exist. Right? These are, those are temperaments of a mind. That is what you are making an offering to. The reason you should be making that other pikra is because there is a temperament in this mind which feels, which gives this mind the impression that the feeling that it needs to serve these minds. Not these people. These minds. That is what you are venerating. That is what you are worshipping. That is what you are paying homage to. But you are not offering it to me. That is simply an illusion of your own mind. And it is not you who is making the offering. That is also an illusion of your own mind. Those illusions are because of delusion. Because the mind goes insane, it tries to separate itself as an individual. And it then, at the moment that happens, it projects all other individuals in this world. You, 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 they, he, she, it, and so on. Ultimately, we are all part of the same energy. These are simply manifestations that are visible to the plain eye. Right now, I'm going to have to conclude there, otherwise we are going to not have enough time to do the Buddha puja and then send you off for the for the arms round. Okay. All right. So Let us take a moment then to transfer the maze that we have all acquired by making inference to the infinite virtues of the noble triple gem chanting period, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching, and with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasakas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha, and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand, and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Maha Sangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer these merits to Guru Swami Nwanase as well as all the monks resident at this monastery as well as all the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them, and may, through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plain, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane. may, through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. Let us take a moment to transmit what we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery to those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May, to the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the Noble Eightfold Path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer to our mothers, fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way, by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. So, so, so. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to the devas, brahmas, spirits, and demons, primarily the deva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill this humble dasasana. Let us transfer to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. May, through the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in samsara and to those who have supported and assisted us along the way. Let us transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. May all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us transfer medals to all those who have lost their lives in natural calamities such as the tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides and pandemics reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in the long journey in samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer these maids to them. And maids to the power of these maids, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the Noble Eightfold Path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of nibbana. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. That is all resolved, that may, through the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may, through the power of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who has helped make this program a success, become an arahatan an arahat in this life itself, And in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadh Sadh Sadh. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. Members of the Mahasanga will transfer their blessings to you
1: now. (laughs) Nibbana parma sukhayan Sukhita taare etnva Nibbana parma sukhayen Sukhita taare etnva Mamad siya lulokar siya dhusatnaya <Sýst> Nibbana parama sukhayan sukhita tara etna. Nibbana parama sukhayan sukhita tara etna. Nibbana parama sukhayan sukhita tara Rāga gini niveva, desha gini niveva. Moha gini niveva, Surwangi, soyananta mahaguna
0: balan, sila loka sila nibbana param sukend, subita sadhu sadhu sadhu.